Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Betrayal. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello, and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Betrayal. This is episode 16, recorded Thursday, May 3rd, 2018. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Betrayal Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. In this episode, our seventh of the year, we are joined by Siobhan Doherty with the University of Calgary, Daniel Lombardi with Benevity, and our very own Lauren McMurray with Alchemy Communications. Our topic? Millennials and those who follow them are, or soon will be, the largest giving demographic. What needs to change to better appeal to these donors? Millennials became the largest generational cohort in the United States last year. In a few years, this will also be true in Canada. Some of the world's most influential donors are millennials, and as you might expect, some of the things they care about and how they want to give are significantly different from how baby boomers gave. In this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy, we will be exploring just how well we, as a nonprofit sector, are prepared to engage with and be engaged by this important generation. We have three of my favorite people as guests with us today, all millennials and all emerging leaders in the sector. Join us as we discuss what this emergent generation has to say about the nonprofit sector. All this and more coming up next on Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Betrayal. We have three terrific guests with us today all leaders in the sector, and all millennials. I'm excited to be here. They're excited to be here. Let's get started. Joining us from the University of Calgary, we have my friend and colleague, Siobhan Doherty. Siobhan and I first met when we were working at Calgary's on Calgary's National Philanthropy Day in 2014 and 15. Her energy and passion for our work is inspiring to me and to anyone who meets her. Welcome to our podcast, Siobhan. Thanks so much for having me, Vincent. I'm really excited to be here. Siobhan, this is not your first podcast. It, uh, no. In your first podcast debut, if I recall correctly, you joined some friends from Atlanta, Canada on their podcast. I remember you telling me it was a bit of a funny experience. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit with us about what that experience was like. Yeah, so I um, joined the boys um, from Atlanta, Canada on Sick Boy Podcast um, to talk about mental health. Um, I suffer from bipolar disorder, and I believe it's um, a pretty important topic to be open about. So um, it's a little bit of a too much information, dive in deep to your life kind of podcast. So um, definitely a little bit different than my regular professional life. So it's a fun experience, um, but I think today will be a little bit different, but fun in another way. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Were you a little bit worried about the TMI? Uh, a little bit. Um, yeah. But then I also, um, I kind of view my talking about mental health as so important. And when you can do it open and honestly, I think that spurs a bigger conversation. Um, and that's what's important. And that's what will make a difference in that realm. Thanks, Siobhan. Also joining us this morning is Dan Lombardi. Like Siobhan, I first met Dan when we were working as volunteers on Calgary's National Philanthropy Day. Dan advised and supported our group on communications and marketing for this event. From the start, Dan impressed me. His comprehensive and intuitive understanding of modern marketing strategy is rarely found in professionals with twice his experience. But what really sets Dan apart is his calm. In the midst of a marketing frenzy, Dan is the calm in the storm. I love that about you, Dan. Thank you and welcome. 
Oh, no problem, Vincent. Thank you for the nice intro. I was going to say, those are super kind words. I feel like I should re-listen to this podcast later, so, you know, for a future job interview or something, <laughs> I can use similar descriptors on myself because I hate writing a resume and going into interviews. <laughs> well, you, could, you, you could definitely use it as your affirmation. So, Dan, you, re- Thank you. <laughs> Dan, you recently left the Calgary Public Library Foundation, and they do miss you terribly, to join Benevity. I'm wondering, for our listeners, can you share with us a little bit about uh, who Benevity is and, and what, what you're doing for them? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, Benevity, we are a software-as-a-service platform, and we work with some of the world's most iconic brands to infuse more purpose into their company and sort of drive their corporate culture uh, with award-winning employee engagement and corporate social responsibility. Uh, so basically what we do is we help companies attract, retain, and engage an increasingly diverse, dispersed, and socially conscious workforce, so many millennials entering the workforce, um, by empowering them uh, to support causes that they care about, so allowing their employees to support causes that they care about through time, talent, and money, um, and to take positive actions and engage uh, in some of their company's other initiatives. And so what I do as a relationship manager is I'm essentially the main point of contact between many of the corporations that we work for um, and Benevity to basically get their employee giving and volunteering programs up and running, um, inspiring them to make changes to their program and improve it so that they see an increase in their own employee base uh, participating. Uh, so it's similar to fundraising in many ways. We do match campaigns. We talk about rewarding volunteers. Um, but it's totally different in that as opposed to now working for a charity and looking at it from retaining donors um, or attracting donors. It's looking at it from a corporate side and how do you therefore retain and attract employees um, through some of these solutions and programs. Well, thanks, Dan. It sounds like Benevity, although it didn't grow out of the demographic of millennials, is certainly here at the right time. I would say absolutely. Um, depending yeah. on, if you think of and we can maybe probably get into this later, but if you think of a typical workplace giving program back in the day, it was usually like almost like a mandated program, uh, usually through United Way, which is still a great cause around giving time. Uh, and in this case, this has been expanded to uh, promote giving and volunteerism all year round. Um, and then we do also do a lot of work with charities. So Benevity actually has a full dedicated team of support staff for the charities that we disperse money to, um, all at no cost to the charities that we help. So. That's awesome. Thanks, Dan. Our no third problem. panelist, our third panelist is Lauren McMurray with Alchemy Communications. Lauren is no stranger to our podcast, but she has never been on the show as a guest. Lauren's claim to fame for us among many is that she is the co-producer of our Brain Trust Philanthropy podcast and an amazing co-producer she is. As our topic centers on millennials and the nonprofit sector, it was a no-brainer to invite Lauren to the show. Lauren, we're so happy to hear your voice on this podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited. This is a little different for me, but what an awesome topic to be a part of. Lauren, I'm going to put you on the spot a bit. I'm wondering, um, before we get into the main topic, if you can tell our listeners just just what's involved in co-producing a podcast and, and what's the hardest part of that work? Oh, yeah, for sure. So I think you and I both, when we had the idea to create this podcast, it was exciting because we both really enjoy podcasts. And these people right now are so busy and being able to listen to great content in the pockets of their life is such a value add, in my opinion. 
And so when we got into building this podcast, I think that having a dynamic team who works well together is key because obviously there are many different details involved. But uh, one of my favorite things is just behind the scenes, the logistics behind booking everyone in and getting to know all of the incredible guests that we have and then having them come on and share their stories. It's it's not difficult in my opinion. I think it's really rewarding and I love doing it. Thanks, Lauren. I know there's a whole bunch more. We could do a whole uh, how-to uh, co-producer podcast session, but uh, that's for another day. Thanks very much. Let's get started. Thank you for joining us on this, our 16th podcast. Today's topic, millennials are, or soon will be, the largest demographic in North America. How do marketing and communications messages need to change to better appeal to this group? Millennials, also called Generation Y, are the generational cohort following Generation X. According to Wikipedia, there are no precise dates for when this cohort starts or ends. However, demographers and researchers typically use the early 1980s as starting birth years and the mid-1990s to early 2000s as ending birth years. Characterized by an increased use of and familiarization with communications, media, and digital technologies, millennials are also attributed with traits of confidence and tolerance, but also, in some circles, a sense of entitlement and narcissism. Earlier this year, the millennial generation became the largest generational cohort in the United States. In a few years, this will also be true for Canada. In terms of giving, millennials are starting to emerge as an important and influential group of donors. Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan are millennials. As you would expect, how millennials give, why they give, and where they give are, in many ways, different from their parents and from their grandparents. As charities, we want and need gifts from all of our donor groups. As a sector, are we ready to engage with millennials? Or are we, as many suspect, out of touch with what this generation cares about? What needs to change? Siobhan, let's start with you. Are we the charitable sector? Are are we out of touch? Um, I'm going to actually say I don't think the charities who are doing a good job are out of touch. Um, When it comes to fundraising, I think that there isn't necessarily kind of a secret to what millennials want. I think we need to approach them the same way we'd approach a lot of our donors. You want to get to know them on an individual level. You want to reach them where they're at. Where they're at has changed. We're online. We're easily accessible, um, definitely driven by technology. But we also want to show them impact. And I think that's something we should be doing with donors at any age. So I think the charities who are doing those three things well, those fundamentals, are not necessarily out of touch. They just need to kind of move a little bit um, to reach those millennial groups. Really? Okay, so are you saying that maybe the, the, we, if we do this right, maybe we'll improve all of our donors' uh, communication I would, marketing? I would say yes, um, and I would say um, the trend of donors becoming quite savvy and knowledgeable about the charities and that information being at their fingertips is not only just the millennial generation. Um, so I think if we do things right, we could actually engage all donors um, at levels higher than they're being engaged now if we use the millennial awesome. kind of framework. Dan, what are your thoughts? I, I totally agree with what Siobhan's saying. Um, I think from a standpoint of connecting with them, so one aspect that's always tough as a charity uh, from my experience working at the Library Foundation here in Calgary was that it's sometimes tough to be able to manage all those different communication channels. And so, yes, you want to try and connect with 
people, any donor, millennials especially, love through something such as social media. Um, but sometimes as a charity, it's hard to dedicate a lot of resources to finding content for that. Um, the other one would be from a website standpoint. So because most millennials would carry a smartphone around, I'm assuming like 99% of them, um, unless you're too young, I guess, to have a cell phone, um, you're, that's going to be your source for information. And so if you as a charity don't have a website that's something as simple as being mobile responsive or you don't appear in Google search terms uh, close to the top, uh, anything along those lines, I think it can be tough um, to better connect and engage with them. I mean, when I look stuff up, the phone is the first place I want to go to check information. If I can't find it almost immediately as a millennial, then I'm thinking, oh, well, how much harder do I want to look for it sometimes, which is probably a really bad habit. Um, but it's more so of the uh, I want something and I want it now kind of generation. Um, and so if you can find it easily, then it definitely makes them easier for them to connect with you. I think if someone wants to give money, regardless of what organization or cause it is, uh, there's usually a reason behind that, like any donor, young or old. Um, and so they're going to seek you out or they're going to agree with something you do because they connect with you. Um, I think it's more so how we connect with them that's changing um, how they react to us as charities or within the charitable sector. Hmm. Lauren, you work in, in public relations and in communications. What's is is it is it tough to to keep a handle on all the channels that need to be sorted out? Dan talked about content. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one piece of advice that that I would give and and the direction that I would recommend for any charitable organization is you don't have to be everywhere at once. Know where your audience hangs out. And if that's on Facebook, then do a really good job of sharing your story on Facebook, sharing the behind the scenes. You know, it doesn't have to be this polished content. We really desire authenticity. We want to feel a personal connection to the causes that we support. And so the more that you can share tidbits of your story, I think the better chance that you have to really connect with the millennials. I, I love Lauren's point about authenticity. Like I know myself um, as a donor and working as a fundraiser, that authenticity, that true self, that transparency is something that my millennial colleagues are looking for from their nonprofits and from companies alike. They want to know what they're doing with their dollars, what's the behind the scenes, what's happening, and that kind of great content that you, if you can produce that, that's going to resonate with your audience well, I think. I think to your point... Go go ahead, Don. Don, Dan. No, that's okay. I think to your point earlier about about impact in nonprofits or charities, you oftentimes get caught up a lot in storytelling or the idea of telling a passion story. And I think sometimes... Uh, what goes perfectly hand in hand with that, which is can be overlooked, is the impact from like a number standpoint. And I agree, as a millennial, if I'm giving, I want to know almost exactly like where my dollar is going to, or how many kids I've actually helped to support. Yes, I want to know specifically about little Timmy maybe in the after school program that he gave, but I want to know more about the broad impact and and how that works. And so it's fast apparent to me, and I know, hey, I did this, and besides feeling good about making a donation. I know specifically how um, it was used and how transparent that is. I think that definitely goes a long way. I want to come back to that, Dan, Dan, um, but I want to also pick up on what Siobhan talked about and dig into that a little bit around the authenticity piece because why why do you guys think that this 
this group, uh, this generational cohort of millennials is particularly focused on authenticity. Is there something, uh, uh culturally or in their, in the, their, the, their experiences that would make them want, desire authenticity at a higher level than others would? Um, I, well, for me at least, um, I had a colleague say the term analysis paralysis to me is how she feels about, um, the world of charitable giving. Um, there's just a lot out there. There's a lot of charities. There's a lot of companies coming at you all at once, um, in this kind of digital age. And to analyze all of that information, it's quite, it can be quite overwhelming. But if you see those kind of nuggets of truth and authenticity, that's where it resonates with me versus, um, all the kind of commercialized content. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much mm-hmm. going on, you have to set yourself apart. And that authenticity tends to do that, at least for me as a consumer and as a donor. Well, as a cynical Gen Xer, I was thinking about that going, I wonder if it's because uh, they feel like they've been lied to too often. <laughs> and I don't mean that directly by charities, but I mean in general, you know, you got, we live in what's called a post-fact world. And so I'm wondering if that's a factor. Well, and I think, too, we have grown up with technology. We have Google at our fingertips for most of our lives, really. And so we have so much information available to us that – I think we've become really skeptical and critical of a lot of messages that we receive. We don't view the TV commercials in the same way that, you know, generations before may have. And it's kind of an aside, but when I think about even the Super Bowl this past year and I was watching, how many of those commercials were about corporate social responsibility, uh, just doing good. I mean, the messages are changing because millennials are the up and coming and we're, we're about to become the largest demographic. And I think it's great because I think it's what everyone wants. I think everyone, no matter what age you are, you want to feel like you are connecting on a personal level. You're being delivered a message that is real versus carefully crafted by somebody like me. <laughs> Communications. <laughs> you know, that can go a long way. Jumping on and just, you know, talking to your audience and, and sharing just authentically is such a powerful way to deliver a message in, in the right setting. Well, thanks for that we clarification. Know. Clearly, other generations um, have not uh, – uh, they, they value authenticity as well, but maybe they just didn't feel like it wasn't the marketplace. Maybe they felt the marketplace had more of it in there. And I cut someone off. Is that you, Siobhan? Yeah, I was going to say, um, there's just so much information about like how marketing works and the science of marketing that for me, I, I feel like I know when someone's trying to like trick me or convince me to buy something. Um, that information's right out there. I can read about it. I can read about the social scientists who are looking into how marketing works and what's the psychology of that. So because I know that, I tend to view marketing, traditional marketing, a little more critically. Hmm. You're much more savvy. Yeah. Great. By the way, by the way, Lauren, I really like how you threw yourself under the bus there. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think I think depending on depending on who's developing that marketing, right? It's just like Siobhan had said. Really, at the end of the day, you want to try to create a story and create a message that connects with your donor's values, and you want to play to those emotions because our brains we're going to act on emotions, not on logic and facts. And so even though the impact is very important to show, I think storytelling with this generation is just, it's so key. Mm. 
That's an interesting um, divide. I'm glad you brought up that storytelling and impact because I wanted to come back to Dan's point. Um, there is a there are stories out there about um, uh, effective philanthropy or uh, effective altruism that is very impact focused. So, um, you know, if you're comparing charity to charity, the charity with, that helps the most most people is is quote unquote where millennials are putting their money. What's your what's the thinking in the group or experiences in the group around that? Is there is it is it is it leaning more towards impact or or does it does it really sometimes matter what they're trying to do as well? I think it would matter in both regards. So that then factors back to the authenticity part. You can kind of understand and connect with what they want to do. I think the impact part is important because you see millennials or yeah, I guess millennials, Silicon Valley is a perfect example, starting all these tech companies and so yes, they want to develop this awesome software, but then they also want to make sure that in some way it has a social purpose. And so if you're looking at Facebook as an example, which I know has been in the news for horrible reasons lately, but as an example, they're trying to build their user base, which has a metric tied to it, and then they might also be trying to give back, which has another metric tied to it. I think not that everyone thinks that way. I mean, I definitely think that way in terms of numbers, Um, but I think it helps to know how the impact is being made and where it's being made. So it, it I think it relies on both. I think the numbers are important just because I want to know, not necessarily that I'm giving it to the biggest, most important um, charity, as your initial thought asked, but more so that the impact is going to end up being meaningful. Um, um, so I know uh, that, it's, and that makes me feel good as a millennial. And I, I would say that impact being meaningful, for, for me, it's a lot of people are looking at, like, what is the societal change? that this nonprofit mm, mm. or this post-secondary is making, is it band-aiding a problem or is it making societal change? And I think that's why a lot of, we're seeing a lot of millennials resonate well with these grassroots projects um, and being willing to give money to them that's not necessarily tax deductible, but because it's making a societal impact and change and they can see where this is going to go and what difference this is going to make to community. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, well, there's so been cool. two... Was that Lauren? Sorry, what did you say? Yeah, I was just going to add to that, too, um, especially when we look at how millennials give. I know that you had mentioned that in the beginning, how we give is different. And when you look at it, you know, we might not be giving as many large gifts, but we are giving more frequently and in smaller amounts. So if you're able to show, you know, every single time you donate to us on a monthly basis, this is the difference that you are making and you're a part of this change. I think that that's a way to really retain millennials, too, is that frequent communication saying, look at all of the good that we're doing together because of you and, and your support. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to remember with millennials, like, that the transfer of wealth is coming. Um, the transfer of wealth from the older generation has not happened yet. So we're saying millennials are giving less, but they're not necessarily at that point in their life where they're going to be giving those major gifts. And I think where charities can really do a lot of good in post-secondary is connecting with them now before that transfer of wealth happens and show them the impact they can make with those smaller donations and get them attached to the cause because when that transfer of wealth does happen, it's going to be those charities who did a good job with this generation previously who are going to be getting those dollars. Well, that leads right into engagement uh, versus, I mean, the focus for a lot of organizations has perhaps unfortunately been around uh, how do we get them to give um, first, you know, we, and, and uh, there has been some discussions in a couple of quarters, including with the Association of Fundraising Professionals themselves with their own 
foundational giving and millennials is a disconnect there where um, the, the folks are going, you know, we, we want to be engaged. We want to, you know, see uh, things like networking events and mentoring be, uh, be part of our lives first so that we can see some value there before we start giving back to, say, the association. I'm wondering about that. Is, is, is that, is that a disconnect in the marketplace where folks are focused more on, can you give us a hundred bucks? Can you give us a hundred bucks? Can you give us a hundred bucks? Well, I want to say yes, and that's because as a charity or a fundraiser, you're almost so dependent on raising that money, um, not to stay relevant, but to continue to carry out your mission. And so if at the top of your mind is always going to be, hey, we need to raise X number of dollars, which don't get me wrong, having worked at a charity, that is always in many ways the ultimate goal. But if that's the only thing you focus on, then that's wrong in terms of how you choose to connect with them. Because as you said, Vincent, if they want to connect with you first in another way, it most likely isn't going to be through making a financial contribution to you. Um, they're probably going to connect with you in some other way, whether it's they want to volunteer for you, maybe something as simple as like, following you on Instagram. So if you're like an animal organization, like, hey, maybe they want to see all the sweet photos of cute dogs that you post or something. Um, so I think from an engagement standpoint, they want to connect with you, but not necessarily. They they don't want it to be transactional. Um, so much of what growing up with a cell phone or as, with technology as many millennials do, as crazy as it is that it's easier for us to connect through social platforms or look up your information at our fingertips on your website, um, in many ways, it harkens back to we don't always want technology to be um, the barrier. We still want to create those authentic communications. Um, and so how can you do that with a charity that's not necessarily the transactional standpoint, but through another method? Mm. I think one well, issue... Heard, uh, go ahead, Siobhan. I was going to say, I think one issue that we run into, that I see a lot and do a lot of volunteer work with other nonprofits Um is that we have, we kind of talk the talk that we want to have this community engagement and this connection and this, we understand that that's how you're going to get your donors in the future, but we still have that bottom line dollar we have to raise. Um, and when yeah. it comes to the fiscal year end at a nonprofit, you're still scrambling because you need those dollars. So sometimes you know, all the great intentions have that engagement, but you still need those dollars in those transactional relationships, um, which is unfortunate. I think a lot of places aren't necessarily thinking long term. Um, as well as they could be. Right. That's what I heard you say earlier was that um, if we're in, if we want to have that relationship strong in the future with this group that's getting this wealth transfer, we need to think about what they, where they are right now, and that might not be with uh, the hundred dollar check. It might be with I'm volunteering or I'm um, offering something else up or I'm engaging something, I'm having some engagement opportunities that aren't always transactional. Or even a simple, I was going to say a simple one. So when I worked at the library, um, if you're like a young millennial, uh, or sorry, one of the older millennials, I should paraphrase that properly, uh, and so you're starting to have a family and have young children, you might use the library for their early childhood services. So that becomes your first connection with the cause. You might not give a gift, but as your kids start to grow up and you realize how much of an impact that could have had on your life then and your children's life, then you think, oh, maybe now the library is a good cause to give to. Um, mm-hmm. So your initial re- your ni- initial interaction is not transactional whatsoever. It's more, it's definitely much more engagement. Hmm. Lauren, did you have some thoughts on this? Yeah, I was just thinking a little bit more about it. And I understand the 
struggle between trying to connect and think about that relationship versus thinking about the bottom line every year. And the one thing that I think about with millennials where it is an investment up front, but if you can generate those relationships and create opportunities for millennials to be ambassadors for your cause, I think there's a lot of power in that because a lot of millennials are well-connected, they're tech-savvy. If you create opportunities for sharing on a wide scale and little tools that can help to spread your message and and just kind of spoon-feed that to those millennials, that they really believe in it, if they you're talking about the cute puppies, right? If there's something that they can share in that way and they can contribute in that way, that might help you touch those others who might not be a millennial, but they might help with the fundraising efforts this year versus down the road when the millennials have the the wealth that we're talking about. It's almost I as love if that. Oh, sorry, I say it's almost as if you uh it's almost as if you need that, that classic donor metric of like lifetime value. Um, which is totally a dollar figure, but if you could calculate it based on like impact or uh, not, sorry, not impact, um, based on like the connection that you make with that person. So if it, if you could strip away all the dollars and develop like a metric that calculates lifetime value of one of your donors based solely on how they interacted with you um, going forward, then maybe as a charity you think to yourself, oh, this is totally worth the investment. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of the metrics that we base off of are all based off of how, as a charity, are all based off of how can I raise more money. Mm-hmm. I I loved Warren's point about um, people being an ambassador for your organization. I mean, for me, like fundraising is all about relationships. It's all about those connections. And people that I meet um, and I connect with may not be able to give me dollars right now, but they may know someone who will. Um, and if they are out there being an advocate for our organization, that's a really authentic thing. Um, to have those ambassadors talking to the community saying, wow, look what the amazing things this nonprofit is doing or this post-secondary is doing. Um, they can really, I think the millennials can really become our champions and connect us um, to a group of donors that we may not even know about. Great point. I, um, I'm curious, I was, as I'm listening to this, uh, what are some of the things out there that are pet peeves of this generational cohort that that continue to still be out there, whether they're myths or or uh, just missteps by um, marketing and fundraising and communications professionals about uh, the the millennial cohort. What 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 ticks what ticks you off? I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is a really interesting. Thing because you really can't Google our generation, millennials, and anything to do with the workplace, you know, you'll find things like entitled and narcissistic and all of these traits. But I think that we are just the, and we might not be the first, but I think we're the generation who isn't afraid to demand change. And like I said, I think that millennials, they want what everybody else wants, but they're not afraid to ask for it. And so one of the things that uh, the reputation that we get is all of those negative <laughs> negative words, negative characteristics. But I think we're just misunderstood, and I think that that's why it's so important to be open to change as we move into this next generation and beyond. I mean, we really have to continue to evolve, and millennials care a lot about a lot of different things, and I think that's why we're not willing to go with the status quo anymore. It's because we want to be part of something bigger. We want to do something good in this world, 
And we don't want to just sit back and watch, you know, everything else just happen. We want to be active agents of change. And I think that's a really great, great thing. I love that. And it's been very much demonstrated in the last, uh, well, for a long time, but most recently in the last six months, uh, uh, underpinning Me Too and underpinning the, uh, the NRA thing in the U.S. have been the younger generations, right, mm-hmm. who the older generations have failed at, at sort of addressing workplace harassment. Older generations have failed at gun control, but the new generations, they don't, they don't buy into that failure mode. They say, too bad, uh, we're demanding change. Um, I really love, love that idea. Siobhan, Dan, did you want to weigh in I, on this? What's, what are pet peeves yeah. bugging you? I I think it's just so funny that um, we pretend like it's like a new thing for an older generation to hate the younger generation or roll their eyes at what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Like it's we have watched it happen through generation through generation. It wouldn't. It's just an, to me, it's the way it's it goes. Um, and our generation is disruptors, and I think each generation kind of disrupts in its own way. Um, and so I think it's it's so interesting to me. Is there's so many conversations around the millennial generation uh, since I'm part of it. To me, I'm just like, man, it's just so simple what we want. Like, we want that authentic experience. We want what's right, and we want to make social change, and we want to make a difference in the world. And to me, everyone should want that. So it's just such – it's so so interesting. There's so many conversations about us as kind of this crazy generation who is demanding all of these things. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As someone who's from a different generation – um, I can see that, and of course, the generation that was that was older than than us uh, didn't agree with. I agree with that that flow. It's always the next generation is always you know crazier than the one before. I can't believe it. It's not like it was. Oh my gosh, I'm a grumpy old man. Um, but uh, at the same time, I do think that there are some characteristics that define generations. Um, yeah, and, for sure. Uh, and, and I feel like like that that demand that. Making voice to 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 that, I, I believe many generations have cared about social change, but not many of them have been successful at uh, voicing and demanding that change in a way that actually moved the needle. Um, well, it I feels think, like this this generation might be one of them. I was going to say I think, and I agree with both Lauren and Shabon's points, um, but I think part of it is that. Millennials growing up with technology, it helps amplify the message. And right. so, and which is like, it's essentially technology, it's those comic jokes where it's like a phone is totally connected, like can just replace your hand or whatever, or computer, or however you want to look at it. Um, millennials essentially have grown up with technology connected to them at all times. And so I think that helps um, with us amplifying our message for change in terms of what um, we want done. I also think it then helps from a standpoint of, um, not just change such as like the NRA change in the U.S., but things as simple as like global warming. Um, as technology advances, you can see more of the impact. So maybe, no offense, I wasn't born in this generation, but if I grew up in like the 60s and, you know, my, my news related to like an environmental concern was like essentially just the nightly news or a newspaper and it wasn't as immediate. Um, like now a natural disaster happens and you can say like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. How can I act immediately? Um, so technology helps create that immediacy of it, which I think helps the, the younger generation. We're so adapt, we've adapted so well to, to using technology that it helps spread our messages quicker and see 
um, more of how something negative in the world can affect not just the community that we live in or the neighborhood that I live in immediately, but the rest of the world and other people of our other people of the same age or demographic as us. So, mm-hmm. speed of the idea, exactly is is definitely uh, uh, there with technology. Hmm. So, what's I'm going to flip this around, uh, and you're 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 ideally situated. What what's the worst thing about the millennial generation? <laughs> I don't want to, like these things that are, that get tapped into it are are oftentimes uh, misaligned, um, as Lauren talked about. Um, I'm wondering though, are there some things that the generation is blind to? That's a tough one. Introspection, right? Um, it's it's so hard to answer, Vincent, because I'm so entitled. I just think I'm perfect. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Siobhan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That, what could possibly be wrong? What a stupid question from an exer. Um, yeah, no, I, I get I, that. I do have the the concern of um, the t- technology um, in our generation, and I think it's such a great tool and can be used in so many amazing ways, but we're looking for those authentic experiences through technology. Um, and so I do get concerned sometimes we are behind our screens too much and that's how we want to be connected to the world. And I think that um, it's more about getting out there and meeting people one-on-one. And so I think some members of our millennial generation, not all can sit behind a computer screen um, or behind your phone um, instead of having those in-person connections. So that kind of concerns me. It concerns me with the generation coming after us who've always known technology. I mean, my nieces and nephews know more about cell phones than I ever could have imagined. Um, so I think the technology and how it interacts with our generation is definitely a concern for me. I would say on that note, when I was talking about immediacy, uh, we process so much information now and technology helps us process more information that one day we're totally talking about students in Parkland and the NRA and, you know, the next minute there's so much other information to take in that I might forget about it. Um, or not give it a peace of mind. And so more so, are we going to follow through? I mean, yes, those students that have taken up that cause, they're amazing and wonderful and are probably going to change the world. Um, they already have in many ways. And so, um, but you as a millennial, are you going to remember to continue to participate in that or are you just going to immediately move on to the next cause or the next thing that pops up? Um, I guess that would probably be a concern that I have. Yeah, it's so like I, I think, go ahead. Sorry. It's like that online advocacy. Like, are you going to be, uh, to me, there's lots of people, they post many things about these great causes, but are you living that in your authentic day-to-day life? I, I yeah. don't know that all of our generation are, and that's really concerning to me because it's easy to sit by a computer screen and say, this is what you have to do, this is what's right. But when you go into the real world, are you living that truth? And I think that that's a... That's a scary, the scary thing about technology in some ways. That's yeah, there's a bit funny. of ephemerality, um, you know, that, 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 that very transient nature to the way that the speed of the idea can be a problem as well. It can be a great thing, but also a problem. Uh, and moving on to the next idea so quickly. Um, interesting uh, comment. Well, anything else? Uh, Lauren, did you, did you have anything you wanted to weigh in before I asked the last question? Yeah, I mean, just to that point, Siobhan, earlier you had said that one of your colleagues had said, you know, analysis paralysis. And I think that that really speaks to me and to a lot of our generation because we think that we can do everything. And 
at the end of the day, we can do so much with the help of technology. We've got so many tools, but I mean, it can be overwhelming. And I think it can inhibit a lot of us from really reaching our full potential and making our, our impact because we're just completely overwhelmed by all of the options. And so sometimes regaining that focus, I think that's one of the best things that can be done, especially when, like you say, the speed of the message, it's on to the next thing, on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if I think technology, we become masters of, of none, which is, you know, an yeah. awesome or kind of funny Netflix show. But in that sense, it's like thanks <laughs> technology. I can look up anything and, like, decide I'm going to try this. So, like, thanks to technology, I learned how to make, like, homemade pasta because I could find a recipe online or something like that. And so I think Lauren's right. You're not necessarily focused on one thing. And therefore, by you attempting to do everything, you're like, oh, I can totally do this. No problem. I can breathe. I can build a house. Sure. I'll just, I'll, I'll YouTube it. Like, it should be pretty straightforward, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's so interesting. Um, uh, I have noticed a bit of a trend because uh, you guys are aware uh, that I curate uh, sort of sector news on a weekly basis. And I look at, at, so the trends come at me and I watch them and I, one of my big favorite places to go is is Medium, where anybody can write uh, uh, stuff. And there's a lot of stories and articles focused on focus. So focused on focus, trying to get <laughs> like remove distraction. Um, and so, the, and and I've watched the volume of those stories rise and rise and rise over the last few years. And uh, and a lot of them are directed at people earlier in their careers and you know how do they get successful and how do they get rid of distractions and how do they focus? So it's interesting that you guys brought up the fact that there's sometimes too much information, too much choice, mm-hmm. right? So well, you end up with the paralysis. Well, I was going to say, yeah. it, it probably helps that we came across that because, you know, there is there are, like, apps to help us concentrate. We're the millennial generation. So oh, that's awesome. The irony of this is that there's an app oh. to help us concentrate. Seriously, it is. It's so ironic, so ironic that I can say, "Oh man, like I should really like stop looking at my phone or like the inner office Slack channels that I have going on right now." And instead, I should turn off all my notifications for 25 minutes and focus on real work. Which is yeah, and there's an app to help you do that. Yeah, and there's an app to help me do that because I because I can't do it by myself. Yeah, I'm I literally not need. To, yeah. <laughs> Well, I do appreciate that uh, that we can have some humor. So I want to I want to close out with a a big question, and and uh, and and I, I don't want it to be all com- comprehensive, can't be. But w- what are the big issues for your generation? I heard things like climate change. I heard things like workplace harassment. What else is uh, are big issues for you folks um, for the general uh, for the millennial generation? And you can't speak to them all, I know. But what it, what from the three of you? Step up. I would say one, one that's near to me and not that I know much about it. So I'm probably, I, this, I'll admit that I'm definitely not an expert on this, but I'd say, uh, neighborhood livability. As we talk about, like I bike to work every day, winter and all usually, and I love it. And so I live downtown. I walk most places. I have a car, which I basically only use to get out to go skiing. Um, and so when I think about, how cities were designed and how now cities are retroactively trying to change their design. So I think it's like Copenhagen might have done this where they made like a five mile radius downtown bike and pedestrian only. Um, and as a millennial, yes, I'm totally tied to technology, but it would be nice, you know, to just get out into my 
into my community or neighborhood knowing that there's no cars around and all my interactions are just going to be with other people on the street. Um, I think that's something so, that... So urban design, urban, urban planning design. and design isn't, yeah, it's an issue. It's an Great. issue, and I, and I don't, and it's not, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert to speak about it, but if I'm thinking about, like, when we talk about all the things millennials love and being authentic and hiding behind our screens, part of me yearns for more face-to-face interaction. So from an urban design standpoint, that's something I would love to see in the future. Less, less um, suburbs and more, you know, back to everyone just, the community has everything you need. I can walk everywhere. That would be great. I would love to see that. So. I'd say um, yeah, for me, for me, um, things like food security and water scarcity, those are big, big global issues that um, are on my mind um, that are important. I think gender equality is still an issue. Um, I, I, we heard, I've heard in your other podcast and talk about how our sector um, and nonprofit is largely made up of females, but still men are in most of our leadership roles, um, which to me as a young female professional, that's appalling. So that's still on my mind. I think mental health is a big trend with young people right now as well, um, with millennials and talking about that, and that's one that sits close to my heart, too. Thanks, Siobhan. Mm-hmm. I, I really love uh, your openness around your own personal mental health uh, issues and challenges, so thank you for that. I um, appreciate that. Lauren? Yeah, I would agree with everything said so far. I think these are really important topics. And I, for me, another one that I hear a lot about and I hate to say it, but it's another interesting idea is that, <clears throat> excuse me, every time a new Netflix documentary comes out, all of a sudden there's a big, you know, movement towards that cause. But I, I feel like food has come up a lot, environment has come up a lot, and it, it, it does have a lot to do with what we've already touched on, just really having access to seeing what's actually going on in the world. So even though we want to take care of our local communities, that's definitely a big important issue. We also have become global citizens in a big way, and we know that we have the power to literally change the world, and I think that we're going to. Mm-hmm. An interesting um, thread out of that, Lauren, is the um, the Silicon Valley Community Foundation. Uh, most community foundations are focused on their local area, and they've taken a lot of heat because they don't take that approach, and a lot of their donors are millennial tech donors, and a lot of the funding that comes through the Silicon Valley Community Foundation is actually directed out uh, not not just to the rest of the U.S., but to the world, uh, to global causes. So it's very interesting to see that that's a, that's a care. So thank you for that. Um, there's no doubt <laughs> that this could be a Part 7, a Part 20, um, and maybe we should we should look at that going down the road with respect to more questions and thoughts about not just the millennial demographics, but just uh, other aspects of understanding our donor database and understanding our donors and the populations in the world at large. So I'm thrilled that you were able to take part in that today. It's a great topic. I do have to kind of bring it to a, a bit of a close. Uh, you've all been great guests, uh, Lauren, Siobhan, Dan. I, I look forward to when we can have all of you back on the podcast. Um, before we go, um, though, I do, I do want to give each of you a chance to, to, to tell the listeners a little bit more about you, what you're working on, uh, you know, where people can reach you, what your pet peeves are, or just whatever you want to tell them. So, Lauren, I'm going to start with you. What do you want our listening audience to know? Hmm. Well, I would definitely just say that uh, to, to end on the note of millennials, just I want to encourage everyone to remember that we are just people and we just want to connect and be uh, 
spoken to as respected equals. And I think that that's the key is just really establishing connection. And from there, there's nothing but opportunity. Uh, on my personal note, if you want to check out more about the work that I do, as I mentioned a little bit in, in the intro, I, I work in communications and marketing and public relations. And you can check out our website. It's just alchemycommunications.ca. You can see all the kinds of work that we do. But uh, I think just reflecting back on this, this topic, I just want to leave you with that. Thank you, Lauren. That's awesome. Siobhan? Um, first, I'd just like to say thanks, Vincent, for having us on here. It was a pleasure and so great to connect um, and talk about this subject. Um, I would say I love Aaron, uh, Lauren's sentiments around millennials. We are just people and we want to connect. Um, and all, I just caution people to remember all of those um, characteristics. Um, we're individuals and get to know get to know the millennials before you judge them. Um, and on a personal note, um, I'm at the University of Calgary within the Faculty of Arts. Um, if you want to reach me, you can uh, send me an email at sean, S-I-O-B-H-A-N, dot doherty, D-O-H-E-R-T-Y, at ucalgary.ca. I'm always happy to connect with anyone in the community. The University of Calgary is in campaign right now. We're doing some really great work here in the Faculty of Arts, uh, and I'd love to chat with people about it. Thanks, Siobhan. I love the fact, like, your name is so interesting because the way that it's spelled and the way that you say it, the first name and the last name, you both have to kind of think about it, right? So you yeah, need to spell things spell it. Out. Yeah, thanks, Siobhan. All right, Dan, you get the last word. What do you want people to know? Tell us your story. Um, oh, great. Okay. I was saying you want to connect with me personally. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, probably, or Twitter. My handle's at Dan, D-A-N, Lom, L-O-M. Uh, you know, if you just want to treat me a bunch of emojis and gifts, because I'm a millennial, I'll totally understand what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> from a from a non-personal standpoint, uh, assuming that a good majority of the people listening to this podcast work in the charitable sector, um, I do work at Benevity, and you can find out more about what we do at Benevity.com. But if you are a charity, um, there's a good chance that you might be in our what we call the causes portal because we pull in based off of like IRS, CRA uh, databases. And if you are, uh, please go in and claim your cause or charity. Uh, we send about 87% of our funds electronically uh, through disbursement, which helps you save money. Um, and basically what we do is we aggregate all the aggregate, aggregate, I can't speak right now, all the funds together. Um, so if, some, if an employee at company A and an employee at company B both want to get to your charity, we send you all the funds at once so you don't have to process multiple donations. Um, so that would be my quick pitch for Benevity if you are a charity listening to this. Thanks, Dan. I think the title of this podcast uh, might be Millennials. We're just people, too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. With that, our gift of another Brain Trust Philanthropy powered by Betrayo has been committed. Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you will join us next month when our topic will be, where does sponsorship fit in the nonprofit sector? Is it underused or overplayed? Joining us will be Brent Brudis with the Partnership Group, Dale Boniface with Spectrum Marketing, and Rachel Hutchison with BlackBot. Talk to you then. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Lauren McMurray at Alchemy Communications and by me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is recorded in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Powered by Vitreo. You can subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes 
or by visiting our website at betrayalgroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.